Thank you so much. Please would you keep your Bibles open to that passage from Ephesians 5 that Rick's just read to us, and you'll find it on page 1176 if you're using a church Bible, page 1176. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word, we ask now that you would be our teacher And Father, that we would learn from you. Father, that you would work in our hearts and our minds. That you would transform us by your word and through your spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. On Sunday mornings, we're going through the book of Ephesians. And over this last two weeks, this is the third week, We've been looking at what Paul has to say about marriage. I have slowed down massively. I've even stayed behind the lectern, which is saying something for me, as you know. And one of the reasons I've done this is because I'm aware that this passage and what Paul has to say to wives and to husbands has been the source of confusion and distress, particularly amongst women. And so that's the reason why I've been going quite carefully through this, and I'm going to do the same again this morning. Normal service will be resumed at some point in the next few weeks. We've been addressing three questions to do with what Paul has to say about marriage. The first question is, why does Paul write about marriage in Ephesians? The second, what is Paul's teaching about marriage? And he is, let me emphasize, writing to Christian husbands and wives. This is specifically about Christian marriage, that is, between a husband and a wife who are both believers. What is Paul's teaching about marriage? And today, I want to come to the third of those questions. How does this apply to us, if at all? Given that the context in which Paul is writing, that is first century marriage, is very different from 21st century marriage. Let's take these two words that Paul uses One applied to husbands and the other applied to wives. He says to wives, submit, verse 22, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And then to the husbands, he uses the word head. The husband is the head of the wife. Where does Paul get those terms from? Why is he using them? Are they from culture? That is, from first century culture? Is he, by talking about husbands as head and wives responding in submission, submitting to their husbands, is he merely describing first century marriage where typically the husband would be in a position of great authority and then the wife submitting to his rule. Does this come from culture? Or does it come from creation? Is that what Paul has in mind? 
He's reflecting here the way that God has established marriage in creation. Is that where he gets the terms from? Is he saying, in other words, that in Genesis 2, where we get the establishment of marriage, that God has set up marriage in a relationship between husbands and wives where the husband is the head and the wife is to submit to the husband as head. Is he talking about culture? Or is he talking about creation? Let's take the word head. Look at what Paul actually writes. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. You notice there is no full stop after the husband is the head of the wife. There is a phrase that follows, as Christ is head of the church. In other words, Paul's reference is not to culture, but to Christ. It is as Christ is head of the church. Husbands are to understand themselves to be head of their wives, not by looking at their culture, but by looking at the way Christ is head of the church. So the term head is not derived from culture. But it's not drawn from creation either. Paul does not write, the husband is to be the head of the wife as Adam was head over his wife in Genesis 2. In fact, Genesis 2 has nothing to say about rule or authority of the husband. It says that the woman is created as helper. And that's very different from a relationship of rule and submission. That's another sermon. It's true that Paul does make a link back to creation, to the origin of marriage. And so he quotes, in verses 31 and 32, he quotes from Genesis 2.24. Therefore a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. But you notice it's about a one flesh relationship, not about a head-submit relationship that he's talking about. And in fact, in verse 32, he talks about the great mystery and the great mystery he's talking about is the relationship between the people of God, followers of Christ, believers in Christ, the body of Christ, who are united to Jesus in a one flesh relationship that parallels but transcends the one flesh relationship in marriage. That's the great mystery that's now been revealed. That God has chosen in Christ to unite us with himself in a one flesh relationship. So let me summarize. When Paul writes to husbands and describes them as head, he's not drawing that from culture. 
nor is he drawing it from creation. So where is he drawing it from? Well, he's drawing it from redemption. Specifically, the relationship of Christ as head of the church, his body. Look at verse 23. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. And how is Christ the head of the church? What's the nature of the relationship between Christ and his people? According to Paul in Ephesians 5, it's Christ's self-giving love. So let's ask the question. How does this apply to us, husbands? Marriage is not about you. It's about your wife. Your calling in marriage as head is to model Christ's love for the church. You are to model that to your wife. That means giving yourself in self-sacrificial love so that your wife will flourish and shine and she will be elevated because that's how Christ, who is head of the church, exercised his headship. That the bride of Christ, his body, may be presented glorious, without spot or wrinkle, as Caroline reminded us in her prayers. So husbands, your wife does not exist to serve you, to make you look great, to serve your career, your ego, your hopes, or your dreams. In fact, it works the other way round. So can you imagine if you were in a first century household? Remember, first century household is not first, 21st century family. So there in the household, you've got the husband and the wife, maybe more than one household, meeting together. And you've got the children, you've got slaves, maybe married slaves. And this is being read out to the household. And the wife hears her husband being addressed. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's profoundly subversive when addressed to a first century marriage. Where typically the husband was the authoritarian ruler. Head of the household in that sense. And all should bow before him and his authority. Can you imagine how subversive this sounds? But it's still subversive in the 21st century. For all the changes in society, for all our talk about equality, 
for all that's been achieved in terms of women's rights, as we say. Wives, even in affluent, comfortable, law-abiding, middle-class communities like our own, can be mistreated and are mistreated by their husbands and partners. Mistreated emotionally, sexually, financially, spiritually, and physically. I was at a conference last week. One of the speakers uh, was from uh, the police force. She specialized in areas of domestic violence. <coughs> Excuse me. And she reminded us of some of the statistics which we have talked about before. I have raised here about domestic violence. Apparently, I understand the New South Wales Police Department responds to 400 domestic violence incidents every day. One in five Australian women are victims of domestic violence. 95% of domestic violence is men against women. In 2014, 30 women were murdered as a result of domestic violence. And you know, it's not just out there. I know it's not, but even if I didn't know, I do know, as we all do, that society always invades the church. Which means that there are women in our churches across Sydney and Australia who are struggling because they live in fear of their husbands or partners. Who are emotionally battered, financially abused. Wives whose husbands or partners belittle them, use them, ignore them. So let me say, husbands, if you treat your wife as if she's there to serve you, you are not being the head of your wife as Christ is head of the church. If you ignore her, belittle her, or exclude her, you are not being head of your wife as Christ is head of the church. If you put emotional pressure on her or financial pressure, deprive her of freedom by the pressure you put on her, you are not being head of your wife as Christ is head of the church. If you threaten her, verbally abuse her, bully her so that she feels vulnerable and unsafe, then you are not being head of your wife as Christ is head of the church. And if you are violent towards her in any way, then you are not being head of your wife as Christ is head of the church. Husbands, the key word, key phrase for us in all of this is, 
as Christ is the head of the church. Sometimes I hear people talking about this and they want to put a full stop after husbands are the head of the wife. There is, as I've already said, no full stop. The key phrase is as Christ is the head of the church. Which means husbands or partners, male partners, who use this passage to justify exercising control over their wives, financial control, emotional control, physical control, because they are head. That's their justification. I am the head. You do as you're told. They are perverting the word of God and using scripture to justify their sin. And women in churches who are the victims of that kind of behavior need to know that. This section on marriage about husbands is the longest section. Do you understand why? Well, in the first century context, the only person who would be able to bring about any substantial change in marriage would be a husband because of the culture. Women would have had limited opportunities to change the culture of their marriage. But for all the changes in relationships since the first century, in my experience, it's husbands who remain the most significant factor still in bringing about change in marriage. In my experience, the greatest problems in marriage is typically the husband. The challenge to us as husbands to love our wives in this way is huge sometimes. It's sacrificial love. It will cost you, husbands, it will cost you sometimes your ambitions, your pride. Sometimes you won't find your wife lovable. Sometimes you'll wonder why you married her. Sometimes you'll think you married the wrong person. And sometimes circumstances will make it hard to love your wife. As the marriage service puts it, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness, and in health, it is costly, costly to love our wives in this kind of ways. But that's our calling as husbands. You are to be the head as Christ is head of the church, his body. Some of us may have some repenting to do, I suspect. Now let's have a look at submit. Verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And then verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. As we did with head, let's ask the question. 
Where does Paul get these terms from? Is this from culture? Is he simply expressing the typical relationship of wives to husbands in the first century? Well, look at how he qualifies submit. Verse 22, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Not as your culture tells you, but as to the Lord. Which could mean, wives submit to your husbands as an expression of your obedience to Christ, but more likely, the way you submit to your husbands is to mirror how you submit to Christ. which would be in line with verse 24. As this church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to your husbands. So this does not come from culture. But what about creation? Could it be that Paul is saying that a wife should submit to her husband because that's how God set up marriage? But again, notice Paul does not say wives submit to your husbands as the woman submitted to Adam back in Genesis 2. That's not what he says. In fact, I would argue it's not there in Genesis 2 at all anyway. Look at the qualifying phrases Paul uses. Verse 22, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Verse 24, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So what does Paul mean by submit? I told you we'd get to this. I think I'd been ordained for maybe a couple of years. It was in the first church I worked in. I was a curate there and assistant minister. And for some reason, I can't remember now what had happened, uh, but one of the women in the congregation uh, spoke to me. Uh, I may even have been initially spoke to Katrina and, and, and to me about her marriage, and she was concerned about aspects of her marriage. She felt she was being bullied by her husband. He was a very forceful character. They were both believers. They both came to the church. And on one occasion, she was talking to me, and it came up about this kind of passage. She said, I understand that my husband is the head, and so I should submit to him. So she was struggling with that, given the fact that she was feeling bullied by her husband. And I said something along the lines, yes, but head and submit does not mean that you are to be a doormat for your husband. And very quickly she responded to me and said, but that's exactly what I do think my role is. My husband is my head. And therefore if he calls on me to be his doormat, that's what I should do if I'm to honor him as my head. 
some people do speak as if Paul is saying that he is not. Remember, husbands are to be head as Christ is head of the church. And what Paul has in mind when he talks about Christ as head of the church in Ephesians 5 is not rule or leadership or authority. It is self-giving love. And so when Paul calls on wives to submit, it's not submission to authority in the sense of rule. It is submission to love. And the love that Paul has in mind is the self-giving, sacrificial love that Christ has displayed. This is not about erotic love. So submit means, if I can put it like this, wives, allow your husbands to love you as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Allow your husbands to love you in that kind of way. But then look at verse 24. Notice how it starts. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. That is, wives are to submit to their husbands in a way that parallels the way that the church submits to Christ. As the church submits to Christ. So how does the church submit to Christ? Does the church submit to Christ because of his power? Because he's Christ? Because he's the Son of God? Because he commands our obedience? Is that how it should be? Well, he is Christ. He is Son of God. He is worthy of all our adoration and all our praise. He is Lord over us by right of who he is. But that's not how he calls us to live in relationship with him. Is it? Yes, sometimes, perhaps too often, we do obey Christ not because we want to, but because we know it's the right thing to do, and so we do it grudgingly. But you remember Jesus saying to his disciples, and therefore to us, I call you not servants, but friends. We are called to a relationship of love, not responding to Christ out of duty, still less of fear or subjection. How should the church submit to Christ? It means by receiving his love and then responding to that love that changes us. It is about allowing him to love us, experiencing his love, and then living out of that love. That's how the church should respond. 
to Christ. That's what it means for the church to submit to Christ. And by choosing to submit to his love, this has nothing to do with being a submissive church. We're not called to be a submissive church. The love of Christ sets us free to be the church. Free to partner with Christ in what in God with, with, with God in what He's doing. Free to flourish. Free to act. Free to take initiative. Free to be the church. So how do we apply this? Wives, allow your husband to love you as Christ loved the church. Some of your husbands may not be very good at it. Some of his attempts for some of you, you may find pathetic. He may fail to reach the standard. You may feel that you deserve better, and you probably do. But don't be dismissive. Don't ridicule, don't despise, don't communicate. This isn't good enough and I don't need you. Remember, marriage involves two sinners and you're one of them. Allow your husbands to love you as Christ loved the church. And don't exclude him. Verse 24 now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. That means don't have no-go areas where you don't allow your husband in to love you as Christ loved the church. Let me just, in case you've missed this, I hope you haven't. Submission is not about submission to control or authority or rule. It's submission to love. And the love in question is as Christ loved the church. Let me give you an illustration. In John chapter 13, don't turn to it, but there's that famous moment where John starts off there, chapter 13, and he says that Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, loved them to the end. He's about to go to the cross to give his life for the church in self-sacrificial love. But on that last meal together, he gets a bowl and a towel, and he adopts the posture of a slave or servant and he goes around the disciples washing their feet. But he gets to Peter. And Peter is incensed and says, you will never wash my feet. That is demeaning, in other words. I can't allow you to do that. I will not allow you to do that. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no share with in other words, allow me as your Lord and Master, because as he says later, that's what I am. Allow me to love you. Because you see, 
I am Lord and Master, but the way that I live out my Lordship is by serving ye. And here's an act of demeaning love that I want to carry out for you. And a few hours later, they will take Jesus away. And they will nail him to a cross. And he will demonstrate supremely that as Lord and Master, as the head, he demonstrates his love in self-sacrificial giving of himself. That's the model. Wives, allow your husbands to love you. Now, some of you may be saying, this portrayal of wives is all very passive, isn't it? Husbands love their wives. That's an active thing because they're to love as Christ loved the church, but wives are just to submit. Remember, this isn't the only thing that the Bible or even Paul has to say about marriage. And by the way, Submission is not submission for submission's sake. The goal of submission is not submission. The goal of the wife submitting to the self-sacrificial love of the husband is so that the wife will flourish. That she'll be more and more all that God has made her to be. That's the goal. And in loving our wives the way Christ loved the church so that our wives flourish, remember husbands, we flourish as well. Let me just say there is nothing here in Ephesians 5 that says wives can't disagree with their husbands. Nothing here about roles in the church. Nothing about who does the family finances or who takes final responsibility for decisions when there's a disagreement. And absolutely nothing about that justifies women submitting to a domineering, controlling, or abusive husbands, and no justification whatsoever for abuse of any kind. Marriage should be a model for the gospel, and the gospel is radical. It's profoundly countercultural. And as Paul summarizes this in verse 33 and applies it to all Christian husbands and wives who are married, he's saying that marriage should model Christ's relationship with the church. I'm just going to make some final comments and then I'll finish. I had got ten of them, but I've only got five. Number one, they're quite brief. Seriously. Number one, marriage is not a private matter. No, we don't have first century households 
as we saw in the first century household, how the marriage goes will affect how the household goes, which will affect how the church goes. But what goes on behind closed doors matters. It's still the case that how marriages go in a local church will affect how churches go. So those of us who are married need to ask ourselves how are our marriages going? Because it's not just about the relationship between husband and wife or the family. It's about the church. Marriage isn't a private matter. Secondly, marriage isn't an end in itself. Marriage, remember Paul is writing about marriage because he's concerned about the church. How marriages go is how churches go. Marriage is not an end in itself. Marriage, the church doesn't exist for the sake of marriages. Yes, it's important we support marriages, and yes, it's important we do marriage courses and so on. Absolutely. But marriage exists for the sake of the church. Three, marriage is not a destination, but a journey. It's a dynamic relationship between two sinners. You don't enter a state of marriage in terms of some settled, fixed state of relationship. You enter into a dynamic, sometimes volatile relationship over the course of your life together. And sometimes some bits are up and other bits are down. And sometimes both bits are down and occasionally sometimes both bits are up. We need to work at it, I think, is partly what I'm saying. Fourthly, marriage is not a savior. Some people look to a husband or wife to save them. Only Jesus is the savior. And lastly, marriages are temporary. Married people, one day you won't be married. Marriage is a temporary gift. But there is a marriage to come which all believers in Christ will share in. It's that day when Christ will come and we will be brought before him like this amazing bride to meet her husband. And that means that when we see in a marriage, a human marriage, a husband demonstrating love for his wife as Christ loved the church, and a wife responding to that and flourishing as we look at that wife, looking at the wife, not the husband in this case, looking at the wife and seeing how she is flourishing, we get a glimpse of ourselves as we will be that day when we appear as the bride of Christ without spot or wrinkle, as Paul puts it. So wives, 
Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Let's pray. Let's have a moment to be quiet. One of the greatest problems we face is our pride. We don't want to admit that we're in the wrong or that we need to change. And over the years, the layers upon layers build up of how we do our marriages. And we don't want to admit that things may not be always as they should be. Father, you're a gracious and loving Father. You know the depths of our hearts. Father, you long to bring not embarrassment, but healing. Father, you want our lives as husbands and wives for those who know you and love you to reflect that extraordinary love for us in Christ and the privilege of being your bride. Father, please help us because all of us who are married need your help. And Father, for all of us as the church family, May we know what it is to support each other, to encourage each other. That together we live wisely. That we are a demonstration of your kingdom having broken in. That as the church, we may indeed be the church. For your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray.